And welcome to the Bleacher Connection with your hosts, Ken and Trevor, a part of the Unhinged Sports Network and proud partners of Fubo TV in Lids. As always, you can find us on Twitter. Trevor is at the BleacherCon1, and I am at the BleacherCon2, and our Facebook page, the Bleacher Connection Podcast. On this week's episode, Ken and I, we're going to go to some, a topic that's very near and dear to our heart, and we're going to talk lots of Canadian Football League on this week's episode. We had the opening of free agency this coming week. Lots of big names have switched teams. So Ken and I are going to go through that and we're going to talk about the league we love. We're also going to have our weekly, regular weekly segments. That's offside. And are you kidding me? Now, before we get going on some Canadian Football League talk, Ken, I think we need to look at the NFL. We had the Super Bowl last week and you and I made some predictions. Uh, One of us was correct. One of us was incorrect. Uh, did you want to remind our listeners uh, how that played out? Uh, well, you had flipped the coin before the show and it landed on Tampa Bay. So I think you got the win there, but I'll give it more to the coin than your, uh, your, your choosing of the team for your reasons. But yeah, you did get it right. You did pick Tampa. I went with Kansas City. Uh, I was honestly re- actually really surprised that it was the, the gap that it was. But again, I did find the game a little bit anticlimactic and uh yeah i don't know i think i was on twitter more than i was watching the game really yeah the shockingly the game kind of was never really in doubt like i actually thought tampa bay did a a relatively good job of keeping kansas city in it uh they had the 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 goal line stop on fourth and inches that had had they punched that in the game would have been over at halftime it ultimately was but you'd have been looking at Tampa Bay being up, but it was 28 to six at half as opposed to 21 to six. Those were some missed opportunities, but let's face it. The, the Tampa Bay defense absolutely stymied the, the bucks or the, uh, sorry, the chiefs all day long. I've never seen a Patrick Mahomes look so ordinary in a game. He was literally running for his life. And the only thing that saved Kansas city from it being even worse was his his dynamic ability and his his just his escapability? He made some plays that they ended up not being completed passes, but saved yards and and it was crazy. I definitely not what I was expecting. There there was almost a play that would have gone down in as far as one of the greatest plays in the history of the Super Bowl if the receiver could have caught it instead of having it go off his face mask. And that was when Mahomes is parallel to the ground and fired a 30-yard dart into the end zone, I think, to Kelsey. And it just went through his hands off his helmet. But if that was caught, oh, man, we'll be talking that for decades. I I honestly think the one big win in the Super Bowl came from uh, some of the prop bets that went on. I don't know if this guy is a genius or unfortunate because I don't know whether they're going to let it stand now. One of the prop bets was, is there going to be a streaker at the Super Bowl? So uh, a gentleman, I don't know his name, put down a good amount of money on there was going to be a streaker at the game. Well, this gentleman also had tickets with for him and his buddy to be at the Super Bowl. I think if winning, he was able to pay his friend $30,000. What they did was they devised a plan where his buddy ran interference with the security guards while he went out on the field and streaked to then win his prop bet. And he won a good amount of money. Problem is people can't keep with their mouth shuts. So now it's come out that this is what he did. And I don't know, will he get paid that money? I don't know. Like, he did win the prop bet. Like, I don't know if there's any, I don't know the fine print on some of this stuff, but 
the rumor is like you said the story it is it the story is a bit of a rumor they don't know if it's true uh i i'm thinking it is but like you said the guy turned roughly a 1500 dollars bet into like 50k so good on him but yeah. i don't know if he will get to keep it or not he he did win but like you said it was the the devised plan for him to win so I think he should get to keep it strictly just because of how that was genius. To me. We're not talking Wall Street here, so it's not insider trading, but you are uh, you are stacking the cards heavily in your favor. Uh, are we going to see more of this now at every kind of major sporting event where there's this type of prop betting for things like that? Or does some of the prop betting go away? I would have to imagine the prop bets will go away if on this particular uh, bet I just don't see how because now everybody's going to do it and, you, and you're going to get 20 streakers a game and these guys putting down 150 bucks are going to only go home with 100 yeah. <laughs> you're actually going to lose <laughs> money because there's going to be so many streakers at the game and people trying this I I don't know I thought it was clever it was I saw the the, the Twitter talk on it and I was like yeah that that's pretty funny yeah but I don't know. Some of the prop bets, in my opinion, they're they're silly as it is, and, and good on somebody for absolutely exposing this one and and bringing it to the limelight of how easy it is to potentially win one of these. So, a funny story from an otherwise kind of forgettable Super Bowl, if you ask me, it was the hype. It was supposed to be you know the the phenom versus the versus Brady and kind of the master versus the the student, and it it, it was a dud. Well, one of the one of the best things that came out of it, and you you were sending me a lot of them on Twitter, was the memes from the weekend Super Bowl halftime performance where he goes inside that structure and he's looking like he's lost. And there's a million and one memes coming out of that, and there they were all great. I don't think oh, I saw there's that some, one yet. There's some dynamite ones. Well, I was having more fun searching memes by the end of the game than I was watching the game, and. I, I was excited to see Brady win. I, I've kind of always been a bit of a Brady fan. And I think uh, to go back to our show last week, I think this cements him as the GOAT and GOAT, the greatest of the era and the greatest of all time. I know you still want to beg to differ with me on that one, but I just, he, he beat the, the next phenom in a Super Bowl as well, who a lot of people weren't giving him a chance. So to me, the argument's dead when it comes to the NFL. It is Tom Brady. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's definitely the greatest of the era. There's no doubt about that. And greatest of all time. He, he is right there. Like, I won't gonna take that away, but I think there is some other guys. Like I, like I said last week, too, football is a tough one where you need others to be good for you to be great. Yes. And I think it's unfortunate, but the major talk is always around the quarterbacks. And there's a lot of other players that are also great in, in that sport. And there's some great wide receivers and running backs and offensive linemen and defensive players that have made others look good, but they don't get that recognition because they're, it's not as sexy of a position, I guess, as a quarterback. I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent here on you. Rob Gronkowski, is he the, the GOAT tight end? It's quite possible. It's tough to say, like, look at who else would be better. You got a Shannon Sharp who would probably be in that conversation do you throw Tony Gonzalez in that conversation? I know he doesn't have the rings like some of the others do. Witten um, in Dallas. Yeah, I was just that's why that's who I was searching for. Yeah, I, I think it's it's not too difficult to put him 
right up there, uh, potentially at the top as as one of the greatest tight ends. Yeah, I think the only thing that potentially getting in his way is uh, some injuries and kind of calling it a career early and then coming back. And let's be honest, his impact on the field this year in Tampa Bay wasn't what we were expecting until the Super Bowl. And of course, you get Brady to Gronk twice, like as if that wasn't going to happen in this game. It was almost a you almost knew it was going to happen. But I don't know. Gronkowski has the rings. Um, I don't know that he has the running stats compared to some of the other guys, but in the end, I, I rings win out a lot of the time. So for that reason, I guess I'd have to say he is. Yeah. And that's, and that's the one I don't necessarily like where people build the goat discussion, argument, conversation, whatever you want to call it around is the rings, the rings, right? It does take the winning and so, these are professional athletes. These are when you take the percentage of people that can actually play these sports, it's, it's less than half a percent of the world. Right. So they're, they're all phenomenal athletes. I think, yeah, the rings sometimes got to get taken. I know a lot of people between LeBron and Jordan, it's always the six for six and, you know, four for 10 and things like that. You got to look at everything holistically and there's, yeah, LeBron's one of the greatest to ever play the game. Absolutely. What Jordan did is, I don't know if that'll ever be repeated, right? I mean, I, I brought up Joe Montana as the one of the as my kind of goat, a greatest of all time in the NFL. Uh, he was four for four, I believe, right? He, or you know, four for five. Like he didn't have a big, he didn't go there a lot, but he he sealed the deal when he got there every time. So uh, it's a tough discussion, and some guys like Dan Marino doesn't probably factor into a lot of that because he doesn't have the rings. With Gronkowski, is he great? because he had a great quarterback. If he, if he had a, oh, I can't think of a guy, the New York Jets quarterback. If he had a guy like that, is he going to be yeah, as Darnold. good? Yeah. <laughs> is he going to be as good if he doesn't have a guy that can put the ball in his hands every single time? You see it a lot. There's guys who play with great quarterbacks and when they move on or retire and they're still playing, they don't have the success. So again, football is a sport to be great. You need others to be good. It's a tough one. So the conversation goes on. You got to look at if you take a tight end that had multiple quarterbacks over the years and they still put up the same numbers and same kind of production, then it's probably the tight end more than the quarterback if, it, if that was a carousel going through. Yeah, and I'd have to imagine uh, Travis Kelsey will take the will take it from Gronkowski. Uh, I, I just don't see a scenario where they the Chiefs don't win another Super Bowl or two or three yeah. in the coming years. So uh, I, I'd have to imagine Kelsey will take that mantle from Gronkowski. I think in kind of recent times in the NFL, what's changed about the tight end position is it's become a premier position. You know, you've got guys like, and I don't want to mention them, Hernandez, who kind of changed – what a tight end was and, and as being a major target and it led into Gronkowski and you now uh, Travis Kelsey and, Kittle and San Fran. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of become a premier position because of some of these guys, which is, I just think an evolution in, in the NFL that that's very unique. So yeah, they're, they're big body guys that tough to cover and tough to take down. I mean, you look at, we're going to talk CFL later and the tight end isn't a really a big, thing in the cfl it's all about the the wideouts and yeah it's kind of interesting that way where it's the same sport but two different leagues look at the one position differently 
All right, so at this point, we're going to move into That Soft Side, brought to you by our partners at Lids Canada. Click on the link in our Twitter bio, Linktree, for your exclusive offer of great savings on apparel for your favorite team. Ken, what was the first thing that kind of caught your eye that you wanted to discuss this week in That Soft Side? Well, I kind of thought and was hoping we'd be done yes. with the topic of Tony D'Angelo. And we're not really going to kind of talk a lot about him in this, but what I found completely offside and just unnecessary was Larry Brooks of the New York Post essentially wrote a puff piece on Tony D'Angelo and everything that's gone on almost like trying to defend him and say that he's not that bad of a guy and it almost came across like he was disputing what was done I know the Keandre Miller part Miller's agent kind of came in and said it wasn't a big deal now whether he was downplaying that or not because why would you want to drag Keandre Miller into anything with Tony D'Angelo more than he has? I think everyone wants to separate from that. Maybe five years after Miller's retired, we'll get what really happened. But for right now, I think the Rangers want to move on from him. And I just found this article to be completely a waste of time. Like I, I did read it and it was, they even went back to his OHL suspension and talked about how uh, the, the racial slur he used was towards another Caucasian player. Who cares? Why is that relevant? It's still considered a racial slur. So just because he said it to another white person, that's okay. We just let it go. Come on, Larry. You're so offside for even touching this with a 10-foot pole. There's no need to put Tony D'Angelo's name on paper for an article unless it's Tony D'Angelo's retired from the NHL due to lack of interest from any team or the KHL. Yeah, I was actually kind of disappointed. You sent me this article to read a couple of days ago and I was, I didn't even want to read it. And I was like, well, I, I guess I probably should. I was disappointed in Larry Brooks. Like, why are we even giving this guy a platform? And, and in, sorry, not Larry Brooks, Tony D'Angelo. Why are we even talking about this guy still? Like the team you cover has moved on from him. They chose to move on from him. They wanted to move on from him. And I know they're downplaying the, oh, the Keandre Miller did it happen. I'm almost certain it happened. The guys don't talk about this stuff. So yes, it happened. You, you're trying to downplay, like you mentioned, the, the racial slur. Well, he has a history of this. His dad, his in juniors, it's the whole point of, oh, it was a smear campaign. Those are words used in the article by Larry Brooks, smear campaign. no. This guy deserves what he got. Mark Stahl, they interviewed him and, and Mark Stahl came out and said, oh, he's not a bad teammate. He's actually a pretty good guy. Like, give me a break. His, his teammates were so happy to see him not on the team anymore. It's clear that this guy was a problem in the dressing room. You had the players mocking him after the first game where Gorgiev comes off the ice and pretends to punch the guy behind him in jest. Like, these guys are so happy he's gone. This, this actually kind of reminds me of NBC bringing Mike Babcock back for a redemption tour and a, a you know, a, a rehab my image tour. Why? Like, why are we even giving this guy this opportunity? I don't even want to talk about him anymore. Get him out of the league, be gone with him and let's be down with him. And Larry Brooks, you're offside for bringing it back and into the limelight. Well, you, you said it just a couple of seconds ago, the smear campaign. Well, what does that sound a lot like? 
what Tony D'Angelo did on Twitter when he was, you know, talking about Trump and the election and how he was being treated. It's no different. That's the exact same thing. There, Larry Brooks is using that tactic of taking the truth and, and spinning the narrative to make it like it's false. He's gaslighting them. Everyone that reads that article and maybe Torts was right. For anyone that doesn't know who Torts is, John Tortorella, current coach of the Blue Jackets, former coach of the Rangers. Maybe Torts was right in getting so angry and, and annoyed with Brooksy all the time because this is probably one of, one of the first articles I've really read of Larry Brooks, and I don't think I'll be reading it anymore. I didn't want to read it either, but I just saw it so much on Twitter and people talking about it. I, I was like, you, I, I have to read this to know what it's about because it just seemed so offside, and it is. Well, and then in the, the article, they're also talking about how his comments on Twitter were taken out of context. And I didn't mean it that way. Yes, you did. The only reason you wrote it. You, you wrote it. Exactly. The only reason you were nagging on it is because you're out of the league and you're now trying to, I guess, rehab your image because you're trying to get another job. Well, guess what, buddy? No one's coming near you with a, with a 20 foot pole and and you wrote it, you're facing the repercussions, you're a terrible human being, and Larry Brooks, you're terrible for bringing this back into the limelight. I'm done with this guy. It's the classic, I'm not sorry it happened, I'm sorry I got caught and punished. That's what Yeah, it comes I'm sorry to. I have to reap the, the consequences of what I yeah. sowed, that, that's all it is. I'm sorry I'm being held accountable for what I did. Yeah. Please defend me. So moving on from Tony D'Angelo, and I actually really hope, Ken, that you and I don't ever discuss him again. I hope no team trades for him. The only, you know what? I hope we're discussing him going to the KHL. That's it. Well, we'll so, throw a little Bleacher Connection party. Yeah. So moving away from scumbag Tony D'Angelo, my offside for the week, and this is not so much an offside from the past week, though another move happened this week to kind of cement it. That's the Boston Red Sox. And, and the recent handling of their outfield. Brian O'Halloran has managed to downgrade from one of the best outfields in 2019 to a very mediocre outfield in 2021. He's moved on from Andrew Benatendi and Mookie Betts and quite possibly Jackie Bradley Jr., though there's some rumors he may come back. I don't know why he would. That's a tire fire. And now they've got... Cordero, Verdugo, and Renfro in the outfield. Well, I'm sorry. You had it very good in 2019. You won a World Series with Ben Attendee, Bradley Jr., and Mookie Betts. And you decided, you know what? I think it's a good idea to break up the clan or the, 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 the group here. Alex Verdugo looks like he might be a, a good player. He's played 211 games. He's got a 290 average. He's only got 20 home runs and 64 RBIs in 211 games. You know, in a 150-game season, that's roughly 15 homers, 50 RBIs. Hunter Renfro, the guy sports a 225 career average. He's, he's a 25-homer, 70-RBI guy with low average, high strikeouts. Jackie Bradley Jr. is dynamite in the outfield with the glove. He's a high strikeout guy. But in what realm is going from Ben Attendee, who's a career 280 hitter, to Renfro, a career 230 hitter, and going from Betts, who's arguably maybe the best player in the game, and downgrading to Alex Verdugo. Like, I'm not, I'm lost. What are they doing? I think the only thing that's offside about this story is how happy it makes me that the Red Sox are downgrading that much as a Blue Jays fan. 
as a baseball fan and someone who enjoys the game, I don't know what they're doing unless they've got some hidden prospect that can step in and, and do the work that Betts Benedict, well, Benetendi did and, and potentially Bradley Jr. But that's three, three players. That's a third year lineup. You've now got to replace with pieces that are going to be productive. And right now they don't have that. I don't know what uh, next season's uh, free agents group looks like, but maybe there's something there that they're, they're saving up for. They've got some pieces they're going to trade to make a big splash because so far the only splashes that are happening is from the guys that are leaving. Well, and I think a lot of people also forget that part of that Mookie Betts trade was David Price who didn't play last year. That's arguably one of your top two pitchers. You also jettisoned out of town in this deal. And I, I get it was for financial reasons, but since when have the Boston Red Sox been penny pinchers? They're like, this is, that is what is, I think the most astounding to me is you let Mookie Betts walk over money, money, Boston, you have nothing but money. You traded David Price to save money. Why didn't you you trade Price in a separate deal and sign Mookie Betts? I'm so lost. Like the Boston Red Sox let one of the best players go. That that doesn't happen. So I don't know if there's something else going on here, but the penny pinching Red Sox as a Blue Jays fan, I love this. Not going to lie. Uh, they're going to fight to be the worst team in the division again, in my opinion, love it. But where did this come from? Yeah. I, and I, I was actually just going to say that maybe there is more to, to this story and behind the scenes that maybe Mookie said, I'm not, this is what I want knowing it was so far out of reach of what the Red Sox would be willing to do that he forced their hand. Maybe it was that and Price saying, I'm not going to play this year that forced them to move on and move him as well. Because I don't think last season counted against uh, David Price's contract, correct? If they sat out. I'm not totally sure on that. I mean, so there's, if, if that was the case, then you've got, you know, still a good David Price. You'd be one of the top pitchers on most staffs, not the Dodgers, but an aging David Price who doesn't didn't play last year in an albeit shortened season. So are you going to risk an older David Price without with a season off at that price tag? So who knows? Maybe that was forced by his decision. Maybe he had told him, I don't know if I'm going to play, but it's uh, very interesting. So Rangers fans, Red Sox fans, we'd love to hear from you guys on Twitter at the BleacherCon1, at the BleacherCon2, or follow us on our Facebook page, The Bleacher Connection. What do you guys think of, of Larry Brooks? What do you think of what the Red Sox have done? Reach out. We'd love to hear. So moving into Are You Kidding Me for the Week? And Ken, there's a couple of very interesting topics here that I, I definitely want to talk about. Uh, I know there's some equipment uh, we're going to talk about in this segment. The first one that I've got to talk about and you know i'm going to kind of reach out to the fans of houston right now you've lost some pretty big names in the last few months in in your city i I kind of feel bad for you guys you know you got jj watt this week getting released by the texans you've got deshaun watson wanting traded by the texans you've got deandre hopkins who was traded george springer leaves to go to our beloved toronto blue jays you got james harden couldn't wait to get the hell out of houston Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook couldn't wait to get the hell out of Houston. Like, 
are you kidding me? Is there something in the water in Houston that the fans or that the players don't like? I'm at a loss. Why does everybody want out all of a sudden? Yeah, it's it's crazy. And I, I think, I mean, with the Texans, it seems like it's a management thing where uh, who knows what they're doing? Because I don't know that Hawkins asked to be traded. Why would you want to get traded when you got one of the best young quarterbacks in the league throwing you passes every day, every Sunday? Uh, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But yeah, it's it's odd. And and just everything that's gone on in such a short period. You know, I think uh, J.J. Watt getting his release surprised a lot of people. But well, I think that also caused, a, talking about the Houston area, caused a lot of uproar too because the Deshaun Watson asked for a trade well before JJ asked for his release yeah. and they're not giving Deshaun what he wants, but they gave JJ what he wants. Now, is that a 10 year veteran player who's been in the league, doesn't have a lot of time left getting that we'll respect your wishes to chase down a championship in the last couple of years, maybe, but at the same time, why would you want to try and at least improve your team in a trade? Like, go to the teams that JJ is looking at and say, hey, he wants out. We're willing to do it. We want to get you. We want to try and get something back to improve our team. Because right now, if you are Deshaun Watson, you're looking at it going, why am I the lone guy left in this city on this team as the only star, only player that really stands out? It's going to be a long, long season for him until he is moved. And for his sake, with the way that's being done, I hope it's soon. Yeah, I, I kind of actually now kind of feel bad for Deshaun Watson. I didn't originally. I Again, I'm not one of those guys that when you ask demand trades and stuff, it's like, you know, you signed a contract, play it. But I kind of feel bad for him now with, you know, they, they let Watt just go. They're like, okay, whatever you want. And now, so, yeah. And we kind of talked is, about this, this too. Yeah, and it seems to be both with the Rockets and the Texans where management and ownership or whatever just – don't seem to be in a winning mindset maybe yeah. because both organizations have done some really out there things where you are going, are you kidding me to change their team? Not for the better, but almost for the worse. And I think that's where, and I don't know, it seemed there was, that's what the Texans have done is they've downgraded their team so badly from where they were to now that it, it's just, it's mind boggling. But with Houston, I thought, it definitely seemed that there were some issues within the team between uh, Harden, Westbrook. Like he had, he had Chris Paul there before too. Chris Paul's left, went to Oklahoma and he's now in Phoenix and he's doing, he's doing well. He's doing good. He's, t- he's working with uh, Devin Booker and that the Phoenix team's doing a lot better, but Chris Paul, I don't think was the problem. It sounds like James Harden because no one was sad when he left. No Rockets. So was it an internal problem where they were going at each other and guys just got tired of Harden and maybe some of their top guys that, that they did trade and got smaller were wanting out, just not very vocal about it because of James Harden. Cause he seems to be a little bit of a head case coming out of, out of the Rockets right now. Yeah. So, I, I would have to agree with you on that one. So, and again, I don't, I don't, I'm with you. I don't like when guys are on teams, they sign a contract and they, don't honor it by asking for a trade in year two of a six-year contract. Where I said before, and I'll still say now, the players have the obligation to do everything to try and win because that's their job. Ownership management have the same obligation. 
And if they're not willing to honor their side of it, it's hard to expect the players to honor their part of it as well, because they all want to be on a part of a winning team. They're putting in the effort. And if they're not seeing it from the organization, it's one of the, well, why is it just got to be on my, on the, my back to get this done? We're supposed to be a team, an organization that works together. And if that's not happening in some of these cases, I don't, I have less of an issue with it be, for that reason. Yeah. So moving into our next, uh, are you kidding me? And both Ken and I, we were fighting over who was going to get to bring this one up as, as something they wanted to talk about. So Ken, let, let's talk about some good equipment. Man, uh, good. That's the word. Oh, yeah, sorry. Good. Oh, wow. Um, Terrible. Terrible. Are you kidding me? Good equipment? No, uh, the Golden Knights debuted uh, some new helmets this week. And I don't know, but I think that gold member from the Austin Power Series should not be part of an NHL design crew. And these things were like gold. They were shiny. They were, you could see yourself in them. And man, they looked bad, like just horrible. It, you have these, you know, the, the dark, the black uniforms that they're wearing at home with these God awful gold chromed out helmets. And I was just like, what are we watching here? Is this hockey or did goon upgrade to an NHL, you know, for the trilogy? I don't know. It was just, they were bad. I like gold. <laughs> these are, Oh, these are horrible. There's a picture of, I think it's Max Pacioretty and Mark Stone sitting on the bench. And they're both kind of looking up. And, and they almost look embarrassed to be wearing these helmets. They know yeah. how hideous they look. There's a meme going around Twitter that uh, is the funniest thing I've seen. And it is a Golden Knights, Vegas Golden Knights player with a C-3PO head on... <laughs> And it is just, you can hardly tell the difference, to be honest. And they they had, they did the same similar one that I saw was they had C-3PO and R2-D2 as the coaches behind the players on the bench. (laughs) And I think they, I think what was also one of the better ones is they, they took the, the helmets and the weekend meme from the Super Bowl because he was kind of in a gold room with lights looking around and it was very mirrored, which is like these helmets. Yeah. And they put the weekend's face in the side of the helmet like he was lost and confused. And I just thought it was gold. But these things, unfortunately, these aren't the first time that we've seen helmets like this. No. It was last year, uh, the LA Kings debuted a chrome helmet for a game. And again, it just... Why? Why you're not selling these things to anyone. It's not like, you know, you're putting out a third jersey, a reverse retro or your 19th alternate. These are just for the players. I don't understand. They were so distracting. It had to take away from the gameplay. And I know the Henderson Silver Knights, the Golden Knights uh, AHL affiliate have the Chrome version as well. And can we just put them away and forget they ever happened? Because no. Are you kidding you, me? This is a horrible idea. You wait. You wait till they wear those gold helmets with those god-awful yellow jerseys. We haven't seen anything no. yet. Maybe maybe they won't clash so bad with the black jerseys. Or maybe the, the plan is they're going to wear those against maybe the Colorado Avalanche or St. Louis Blues 
in a, in a critical series to try to distract them from the hockey going on on the ice, but they're horrific. The, the Golden Knights are good enough. They don't need parlor trick confusion tactics to beat the other team. I don't get why they're doing this. Uh, this They're just god-awful. So for, for the next uh, one I want to have a look at, and this one's near and dear to my heart on the uh, to do with the Canadian Football League, Earlier this week, the, the Toronto Argonauts made some significant moves of trading for a couple of ex-Calgary Stampeders, and they've also recently brought in, in years past, a few different Calgary Stampeders. We'll get to that in our next, our next segment. Then the Argos social media team absolutely trolled the rest of the league, and they changed their Twitter header from the Toronto Argonauts to the Toronto Stampeders. And I'm like, are you kidding me? That's phenomenal. We need more of this. Like, I know there were some people out there who are actually highly offended by the fact that the Argos were trolling another team. This is this is dynamite. How can you get mad at this? This is exactly what social media is supposed to be. Poke fun, have some good laughs. It's a ha-ha. So to the Toronto Argonauts, good on you. Well, it's 2021, so it's easy to get upset about things like that. And you're right. It's all in good fun. Right. Like they didn't change it to something offensive or take a shot at the city or the team in Calgary. But I think it's great. You need more of it so that you actually have right now the CFL in people's minds because they're not playing. So this makes it relevant. It brings everyone talking about the CFL and it's great. Why not? The league only has nine teams. So it's not hard to have a collection of former players from one team on another so why not poke a little fun out of it at it and, and go from there? there? There's guys in the league that I think have played for every single team. I think Odell Willis, I think that he just finished the, the nine team tour by signing with the Argos. Yeah, he very uh, well might have. <laughs> these guys move around a lot, right? And it's it's not a it's not a hidden fact about the CFL. They do. Uh, but I thought it was great. So, social media, when done correctly. And I think the Argos did it right with that change. Uh, taking it to the NFL, the Hurricanes do a great job on social media. It brings attention to the teams and players and things like that in a good way, in the right way. And you're right. We need more of it in, in sports. We need more good stories about social media than sometimes what we get. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I hope they do more of this. I hope more teams learn from this and go, wow, that was actually really damn funny. And let's let's try to take our game up a, a bit. I know with Vegas, when they originally came out, had a, a social media team that was the Golden Knights. It was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, probably not the same uh, social team that came up with the helmets, but I do believe that they have moved on from the original social media guy to a new one or girl. Sorry, I shouldn't say guy there. We need more of this. This I love it. I follow teams that have good social media accounts. So keep it up and let's, let's, let's keep this going. Yeah. And then for the last one, we're going to, for, are you kidding me? We're going to, we're going to go back to the Super Bowl a little bit, but more so the aftermath and the parade. First off, Brady, I think Brady's liver right now is saying, are oh, you kidding boy. me? Oh, <laughs> he, he looked like us in some of our uh, university days there, Trev. And after being up at the zoo for a little too long in between classes, Sorry, mom, if you're listening. Um, shout out to the University of Lethbridge there. <laughs> yeah, man, he was having a good time. I think it, they probably should have put about 19 life jackets on him by 20 minutes into that boat ride, just in case <laughs> he fell in. 
I don't know if liquor floats, but yeah, he was having a good time. He did something that actually was very cringeworthy. And, oh, and yeah. are you kidding me? When he tossed the Vince Lombardi trophy from his boat, probably what, 20 feet behind him? If, if not further. To, to Gronk in his boat. Now, it wasn't a clear, you know, Gronk wasn't out in the open. He wasn't, you know, free and clear. He was covered by his teammates pretty well. If that was left or right, any, uh, they'd be dredging the, t- the bay in Tampa right now to try and get that trophy back. You'd have the most uh, highly secured dive site in history, probably more so than the Titanic, to get that trophy back. It was... Oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? That was cringeworthy. That was amazing. Thank God that that thing didn't end up at the bottom of the bay or I don't know what would have happened. I thought it was great to see Tom Brady let loose in the limelight like that because he's always known as, you know, the, the pretty perfect boy. And to see him like having to be held up and carried around was amazing. Yeah. It was he was a real guy for once. You kind of got to relate to him, and he came out on. He was making fun of it on Twitter later, and it was. It, I just thought it was absolutely great. Uh, one of the things I don't like about this story was the, the daughter of the guy who actually uh, created the Vince Lombardi Trophy. Kind of came out a couple days later and was like steaming mad at the, the Bucks organization and more or less was demanding an apology from Tom Brady about disrespecting the trophy. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Whatever. It's, they would have found the trophy. They weren't disrespecting it. Was it stupid? Yes, it absolutely was stupid. But to come out and demand an apology from the Bucks organization and Tom Brady, get, get over it. They would have dealt with it. Had it gone into the Bay, they would have got it back. It, it, I don't know. It, it just felt a little much for me. So, yeah, I, I would kind of understand a little bit more if her family still had, like, still maybe still owned the trophy or had rights to the trophy and leased it out or given it to the to the NFL to use and had some kind of ownership still over it. I think there, it's obviously the pride and the the fact that her father created the trophy. That being said, where it kind of comes, are you kidding me? Like she said, she lost you know two days of sleep over it and. I, I don't know. I, it's it's the NFL's trophy. I hope she's not a hockey fan because if she knew what happened with the uh, the Stanley Cup, she probably wouldn't sleep for months. Uh, they they showed a picture on Twitter. <laughs> showed a picture on Twitter where the Pittsburgh Penguins are in Mario Lemieux's pool, and so is the trophy floating. Right. The, it, so much has happened to the Stanley Cup. If you were the person who created it, you're not sleeping for a decade. I'm sorry. Yes, exactly. All right. So let us what you think for, uh, are you kidding me? Uh, Houston fans, Golden Knight fans, CFL, social media fans, let us know. Let us know what about Brady at the BleacherCon 1, at the BleacherCon 2. This part of our show is brought to you by our partners at Fubo TV. What is Fubo TV? Fubo TV brings you 100 plus channels, including NBC, CBS, Fox, ABC, ESPN, and more without the hassle of a cable contract. If you don't believe us, Check out our uh, link trees in our bios on Twitter, and you can start your seven-day trial now. So moving into our final segment of the show, and this is Ken and I have been dying to talk some Canadian Football League. We had a whole 2020 season canceled. 
Finally, this week, we got some actual Canadian Football League news as it was the opening of free agency. And Ken and I couldn't wait to talk about this. Moving into this part of the show, we're going to talk about some of the, the, the main signings and who's where and what effect does this have on the league. So, Ken, what was the, the first major move that you really want to talk about in, in the Canadian Football League? First, I just kind of want to make, like, I hope that this free agency opening and people actually being signed at the rate that they were, because we did see a lot of it. As soon as it opened up, the signings were coming in. I am really optimistic and I'm really hoping that that this means we are that much closer to actually having a season when it comes around. That's the big thing that, you know, I was really worried about if, if free agency opened and didn't happen, was there going to be a season? So I'm taking this with a, a little ray of light that this is a good sign towards having a season. So I think one of the ones there's, like we kind of talked about the Toronto Argonauts. They, they've brought in some guys to try and help that team uh, because they weren't very good over the last little bit here. They had to move from Rogers center, which holds what 50,000, 60,000 people to BMO field, which holds a fraction of that because they just weren't drawing fans and because they are a fan base that if you're not winning, they're not supporting. So they've made some moves. They brought in uh, Charleston Hughes on defense, who is one of the older guys in the league at 37, but man, he can still play. He is a monster on defense. And I thought that was a great move. And I was a little disappointed to see when he was available that he went to Toronto because I was as a BC Lions fan, I was hoping he was coming out West. Yeah. Charleston Hughes, the, the Calgary Stampeders cut ties with Charleston Hughes roughly five years ago now because they believed that he was on the downswing of his career and not worth the money that he was uh, commanding. <laughs> Maybe one of the few times Huffnagel, John Huffnagel in Calgary was wrong. This guy has continued to be one of the best defensive linemen in the game near the top or the top of the sack race every year. He's actually chasing the all-time sack record right now. And even though he hate, he played for my most hated team, the Rough Riders, and and, and ra- racked up a bunch of stats, uh, sacks, I hope he gets there. When he was in Calgary, he was one of my favorite guys. Toronto got a good one, and they're going to be better for it. Uh, to keep on the ex-Stampeder train with the Argos, the Toronto Argonauts, and, and we mentioned this, in, uh, in Are You Kidding Me, they've brought in a whole slew of ex-Calgary Stampeders. And they made a, a trade with the, the Calgary Stampeders where they brought in Eric Rogers and Cordero Law, who were kind of at a contract impasse with the, the Calgary Stampeders. Cordero Law, and both, they signed them both. Cordero Law has a hard time staying healthy, but when he does, again, he's a great defensive lineman. Between him and Charleston Hughes, if they can have both of those guys in the lineup, that front four is going to be feared. Eric Rogers is quietly one of the best receivers in the game. He, again, injury history there. Big bodied. He's a first down machine and he's a playoff touchdown machine. So I, those two moves there, the, the, the Toronto Argonauts also brought in Nick Arbuckle, who used to be the backup quarterback for the Calgary Stampeders. He was to play with the Ottawa Red Blacks last season, but he never got a chance to play there. So there's another former Calgary Stampeder. You've got 
uh, Odell Willis, a long time back, former Calgary Stampede, are now also there. So here's the troll job. They've gone on and brought in Shaquille Richardson from a few years back. There's, you know, six, seven, eight ex-Calgary Stampeders on that team who I think are going to make a huge difference moving forward for the Argos. I do question a little bit, though, whether the 2021 Argos are trying to win the 2015 Grey Cup or the 2016 Grey Cup as opposed to the 2021, but they brought in some big names in a market that needs it because that team is struggling to draw fans and maybe some big names will help with that. Well, they also brought in John White from my BC Lions who just came off a thousand yard rushing season, one of his best years in the CFL. So they've made some moves to improve that team. And I think, like, let, let's be honest, we, are, we have our fan bases. I'm wearing my BC Lions hoodie. You got your Stamps jersey on right now. We have our teams. But I think you and I can both agree the CFL is better when everyone is uh, competitive, right? The West has always been a little bit more dominant than the East. And the last place team in the West is, could usually seed in at the number two spot in the East. But I think that doesn't do the league any favors because you can't, as a gate driven league, you can't have teams that aren't drawing fans because it's just not going to work. So the, the CFL is a better league when the Toronto Argonauts are contenders. It's clear as day. I'm not a Toronto Argonauts fan by any mean. I, I could really care less about them, but the CFL is better when the Argonauts are a contender. And I, and I hope they've made some moves here that do get them back into reality in, in the, the CFL's Eastern division. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned his name earlier and, and I want to bring him up again. And it's a little story I got to tell about Odell Willis. Now Odell Willis, his, his game, his best is probably behind him. He was an absolute force for at one point, my Calgary Stampeders. Then at one point for Ken's BC Lions. And I'll never forget heading into the 2008 West final played at McMahon stadium in Calgary. And I'm one of those fans. I get there the minute the doors are opening. I went down to field level to go and just kind of watch the BC lions warm up and Odell Willis was there. And I started absolutely chirping with him. And it was the year after he left the Stampeders. And I more or less said, you weren't good enough to be on the Stampeders and I hope you lose today. And I can't wait for you to go home. And he started chirping me back and man, that was one of my best moments ever from a CFL game was absolutely getting into it with Odell Willis on the sidelines. And that's part of what I think makes the Canadian Football League so good is the players do interact with the fans in my oh, opinion yeah. a little bit more because they have to. Yeah, like uh, it, it was you, you did it on the field. I did it uh, on Twitter with uh, Corey Sheets uh, one year when they were playing the Lions. Oh, me and, too. And, and and, but at the end of it, it was all good. Like I, I tweeted back. I'm like, well, you got the best, you know, you won this time, but, and he was cool. Like he actually, even after the game, I think it was in Saskatchewan, the game. And uh, like, he tweeted back at me, like it would have been 2 AM my time or whatever it was. Like it was late. And, and he still tweeted back and it was all good. Like we just had a good back and forth and kept, it was all respectful. And I think that's what makes the CFL great. It's that you do and can reach out to the players and, a lot of times they, they reach back. Corey Sheets actually did it to me too in a completely separate uh, feed at the time. I was absolutely giving it to him over John Cornish being the best running back in the league. And he was right into it with me. When he was like, no, I am. 
And I'll tell you when they knocked us out in the West final that year, he actually went back to me. I didn't reach out to him. He came back to me and pretty much said, I told you so now shut your mouth. And I was like, <laughs> right on. Good for you. buddy." <laughs> Yeah. So the next uh, one of the major moves I want to talk about, and Ken, this one will hit close to you at home with the BC Lions, is Solomon Aluminium announced his retirement. He played the majority of his career with the British Columbia Lions and, and finished his last couple seasons kind of as a non-factor with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. But this guy was a force. He was one of the best for the longest time in the league. And Ken, I'm going to let you talk about Solomon Aluminium. Yeah, Solly, as they called me, he he was just great. Like, he and Adam Big Hill were probably one of the best duos that I've seen, especially, like, not just on the Lions, but at, at that position. Those guys, you know, Big Hill wore 44 and Solomon wore 56, so they were always Team 100. And, man, he, he could play. He was just an absolute beast on that field, and he, he left it all out there. Uh, he's well, he's the only player he won defensive player of the year and most Man. outstanding player in the same year he is the only defensive player to win that award that is usually almost always a quarterback yes and you and they as a defensive player he won that award this guy was the head of the uh, cflpa uh, for the players he he has done a lot of great things for this league and the CFL community, not and off the field. When I say that, not just uh, what he's done for the game, but what he does in the community. He, I hope he sticks around in some aspect with the CFL, uh, because the CFL will always be better with Solomon Aluminium in it. It, yeah. it just will. There's, there's no other way to say it. Uh, absolutely, congratulate him on a fantastic career. As I said, he will be missed from a BC Lions standpoint. Um, I want to say, like, for the way he played, I hadn't seen a guy in a BC Lions uniform kind of play and be that impactful since Cameron Wake. Uh, that was a guy who was a beast in the CFL and tore it up in the NFL as well. Yeah, so, with the Miami Dolphins. Absolutely. He's, I think, third all-time in sacks or something like, like his. And that, to me, I, I always had a – I got a Cam Wake Dolphins jersey hanging up because of that reason. He was such a – and he loved the CFL. When he went down there, he was always Cam Wake, not of his university, but of the British Columbia Alliance when they yeah. did those player intros. The guys love the CFL, and some of them just have such a huge impact. And Solomon will will always be remembered as a CFL great. One of the big storylines from CFL free agency was a kind of a carousel of some running backs finding some new teams. You had Shaq Cooper going to the BC Lions from the Edmonton Football Club. Yeah, James Wilder Jr. going to the Edmonton Football Club from kind of a rocky tenure in Toronto. And yeah, John White leaving the BC Lions to go to the Toronto Argonauts. Ken, of those three moves, which one is the most impactful? I, I want to, I, I, Wilder's going to take a minute to see what's going to happen because he went to Montreal after Toronto, yeah. lighting it up in Toronto. I and mean, he didn't do a lot. He almost pretty much walked away to take a, I think, high school coaching job down in the States. But he's back now. He he has the ability to be the impact running back in the league. We'll see what happens in Edmonton. Different system, different coaches. We'll see how he does. I think Shaq Cooper, uh, he's going to probably get the lion's share of the ball with the Lions. 
and he had a decent kind of time with the Edmonton football team. But I think John White going to Toronto is probably the biggest. He's a thousand yard rusher and the Lions didn't bring him back. He thought he had a good, good time in BC. And uh, I don't know, maybe it was a money thing or maybe they just see something else in Cooper that they don't see in White. But I think John White going to Toronto will probably be the biggest impact signing of those three. Yeah, I'm kind of, I think it's going to be James Wilder Jr. If he can get back to his kind of 2017, 2018 form. I think you've got an offense there that is a very, let's call it a dink and dunk short, you know, a lot of underneath passes with uh, Trevor Harris, a quarterback. And I think he will get a lot of touches because of that. I think you've got a, a team that likes uh, ball control in Edmonton and they like to rack up the first down. So I think he's going to get a lot of kind of short screen passes his way. And I think that's a team that likes to run the ball as well. So if he can get back to his form, I think James Wilder Jr. will be the most impactful of that. But there's a big question mark there. I, I, I agree with you on that. It is a big if. If I had more faith in what he – if he had done better in Montreal, then it's probably not a question. But because of how he developed more downward than upward in the last few seasons, that's kind of where I put White ahead because it's less of a question, I think. Yeah. I think the BC Lions made a couple more – kind of sneaky good moves as well. And they brought in Lucky Whitehead from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and yeah. they brought back, or did they re-sign Chris Rainey? Brought back. Brought back. So those are two absolutely speed demons. Their return game should be absolutely electric. And absolutely. to go along with Shaq Cooper, who's a bit of a speed demon as well, I'm very interested to see Mike Riley, in my opinion, is probably the best quarterback in the CFL when he's not on his ass because he's been sacked every other play with those kind of weapons and those speed guys, I'm very interested to see what that BC Lions offense can do. And they could be very electrifying. So those are a couple of sneaky good moves in my opinion. Yeah. I think it's going to be tough to punt away from either. I think that the Lions will line up two on every punt and that'll be lucky whitehead and Chris Rainey. And you can't punt away from both of them. So I, if you really want to make it difficult, you line Shaq Cooper up there and you take one off the front line and <laughs> you, you really give them no options. But yeah, I, I was, I like those signings. I've always thought uh, Chris Rainey's been electric. He is a little bit older now, but he's still, he's still doing it. Uh, and lucky whitehead. I like that because, you know, we talked about it the other night, I think it was on unhinged at night where the CFL, the, the return game is just electric fine, electrifying. So I love it. I would, I would do want to see you brought it up. The BC Lions maybe spend a lot more money on uh, offensive line to protect Mike Riley. But I also think that maybe some veteran coaches around the team this year, because I didn't like or understand why Ed Hervey allowed, when he was the GM, he's not anymore, allowed Devon Claybrooks to surround himself as a rookie head coach with nothing but rookie coaches. I, and I think the team hurt because of that. As soon as they let go of um the offensive line coach and brought in someone with a little more experience they started to turn it around in keeping with the bc lions theme to go along with probably having the best quarterback in the league they also brought back the best receiver in the league in brian burnham uh i don't think there's much question as to the fact he is the best and this guy he catch if the ball's in his vicinity he catches it and whether it's a highlight real grab or a regular grab he is amazing. 
And I think he, he makes the BC lions offense go. He's a first down machine, a touchdown machine. So that move was in my opinion, absolutely critical, but in my opinion, the, the most significant move that was made by any team uh, was this and this pains me to say this the Saskatchewan Rough Riders bringing in bringing back Micah Johnson from the the BC Lions and used to be a Calgary Stampeder. This guy's an absolute force on the line. He is a, a sack machine, and that Rough Rider defense. Uh, they also brought in the two uh, the two brothers. Their names escape me. The twin brothers. Uh, Herdman. Yeah, the Herdman brothers that escaped me. That defense is going to be lights out. And bringing back uh, Micah Johnson just solidifies that. I know they lost Charleston Hughes, but whatever they lost in Hughes, they're going to get back in Johnson. Yeah, and the, the Herdman twins are uh, are quite good as well. We we had one of them in BC, and they're they're he will be missed. Yeah, when you just to touch back on Burnham, when you said his vicinity. That vicinity is his hands to about 10 yards out. He will get there somehow, some way, and make that catch. And that could be like four feet over his head too. So, Ken, with some of these moves that have been made, and I'm not going to lie, for my team personally, the Calgary Stampeders, they didn't really do a whole lot. Um, they brought back some some names from the NFL. They got uh, Jameer Thurman coming back. To me, the Stampeders didn't really need to do a whole lot. They're them on the defensive side of the ball. They're as good as anybody. I'm a little worried about some of their their receivers. They, you know, they lost Eric Rogers. Uh, they're getting Kamar Jordan back this year, who's probably most well known for a fumble in the 2017 Grey Cup. Unfortunately, I'm a little worried about the Stampeders on the offensive side of the ball, but I do think they're still a contender. But Ken, with some of these moves. Who's your early Grey Cup prediction? It's tough because we lost the season. So I think it's going to see – it could be a crapshoot. Uh, I think it's tough to go against Calgary at any point in time. But I would think Calgary will be at the top. They have a good chance. I want to think hopefully with some more veteran leadership and the coaching ranks, BC can put it together. They got a solid team, good quarterback. I think it's tough. It could be Hamilton again. Hamilton could run away with it all because they haven't really done anything to get worse. Jeremiah Masoli re-upped. He's there again. So it's going to be interesting. I think uh, it'll probably come down to Hamilton and potentially Calgary again, but I'm hoping BC's in there. Yeah, I'm kind of, I think Hamilton is right now the best team in the league. Uh, I don't see the Winnipeg Blue Bombers repeating as Grey Cup champions. I think they're one often injured Zach Caleros injury away from an absolute major problem because they lost. Um, uh, Nichols. Um, yeah, they lost Nichols and the third stringer. Uh, Chris Strebler. Yeah, Chris, sorry, Chris Strebler playing in the NFL now. They're a quarterback injury away from absolute disaster. But to me, I think it's going to be uh, Hamilton Tiger Cats are, are the class of the league. And I think Edmonton might have a really good year this year. I know they lost to Mondo Sewell, so we shall see there. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Not having a season last year definitely makes it a little difficult, but CFL fans, football fans, let us know what you think. Hit us up at, on Twitter at the BleacherCon1, at the BleacherCon2, or our Facebook page, the Bleacher Connection with Ken and Trevor. Oh, sorry, that's the old one. Just the Bleacher Connection podcast. Old habits. Uh 
as always, this is going to be it for the week. We thanks everyone for listening. Be sure to catch us every Friday night um, for Two for Chirping, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific at unhingedsn.airtime.pro. That's six, this week's show. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone. Yep, thanks, everyone.